0: Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the beauty of your creation and the cool air this morning reminding us that it is your creation. And uh, I thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the opportunity to open your word, hear your voice. And Lord, I just, again, I just pray that we'd be humble enough to actually believe that we have something to learn today and not just come in with what we already know. Lord, all these things I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Right, Hey, I got to tell you, I was laughing, them. I don't have any slides, I don't have uh, props, I don't have, this lesson, I mean, I just, if we can't get it just straight from what Jesus says, we're, we're, we, we don't have any hope. So here we go. Um, yeah, 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 no hope, all right, a um, little trivia, so you're all in. Uh, who's the first president of the United States? Just, just, just in your mind, have it, get an answer, who's the first president of the United States? All right, how many of you said George Washington? Okay, you're good, you're still in. All right, uh, how many terms did George Washington serve? Okay, you're not supposed to be answering out loud. You're going to let people try to get it. So how many of you said two? That's yeah, yeah, All right, so, so we, we lost a few of you because you didn't know that. That's right. right. Uh, third question, George Washington trivia. Um, how did he die? Don't answer it out loud, Gary. He doesn't know, that's okay. Uh, how did George Washington die? Okay, Jerry. What do you What do you have? Yeah, he had strep throat. It appeared strep throat. I mean, you know, he had a sore throat. But you know what? What's interesting about that story is it's a very interesting story. Let me tell you because that doesn't seem all that extreme. So, uh, two years after he finished his second term, George Washington, the man that some people wanted to become king, but he said, "No, I ain't doing that. That's not what we want." Uh, but he had, he had served his two terms. He's back. He's back at his, uh, his small little farm called <laughs> Mount Vernon in, in, in Virginia and uh, all, has all this land. He's riding his horse. It's in December. It was a day a little bit cooler even than today. It's in December. Some people say that he, he, it, it rained some. He had gotten wet. He came back. He went straight to dinner. He ends up getting a little bit of a cold or whatever, turns into a sore throat, probably strep throat, and he's dead within two days. Now. The fact that the three physicians who were treating him also bled him of approximately 40% of his blood may have had something to do with his death. And what's incredible about that is no one questioned that. Matter of fact, as, as I recall, George Washington requested it because at that time, that was how you treated fevers and, well, almost everything. If you had the means, you would be bled. And, and again, like I said, and they estimate that it was probably 40% of his blood volume was, ch- was chosen to bleed out of him, and he died within two days of a sore throat. Now, again, like I said, what's crazy in, in our own mind is, is that wasn't even questioned. Again, like I said, he requested it. For 3,000 years, 3,000 years, one of the standard medical choices was to bring about balance within somebody you would bleed them and uh, it really wasn't until the middle or even well into the 19th century the 1800s that people began to question that and matter of fact even into the 20th century there, there were certain aspects of it there were certain uh, pockets of the world that still said this is the way to treat almost everything uh trivia number two now, this is one, be listening right now, because you're going to want to share this with somebody. And again, some of you all already know this, but it was news to me, or it was news again, because I didn't remember it. Uh, if you go to a barber shop, what's the, what's the sign out, how do you know it's a barber shop? The, 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 the bowl, I mean, the, the pole, the barber pole, sometimes they spin and stuff, and it, they're typically red and white. And say, "Well, In, in America, many times, sometimes they're red, white, and blue. And, and, the, and the blue is probably because of red, white, and blue, and patriotic, and blah, blah, blah. In Europe, they're always red and white. And that's because <laughs> back in the day, if you needed to be bled, you would go to the barber to do it. And the red stripe is for blood, and the white was for bandages. You know, a tourniquet they would put on you to start it, and this and that, and, to, and then to stop it with a bandage. So the red and white stripe, was so you could go and get a trim and have your tonsils taken out all at the same time. I mean, and so because my fact that the term was they were a, a barber slash surgeon many times. It's just kind of interesting trivia that that's why those red and stripes come from. Um, here's what's amazing to me: for three thousand years, we believed as uh, the most advanced cultures in the world believed the best thing to do when somebody had a fever. Was to bleed a bunch of their blood out. You don't still do that, do you? Okay, okay, yeah, okay. I yeah, just check with that because he treats my mother in law, and it's not a bad option. I mean, you know, but it's, you know, so anyway, uh, she's doing great. She's doing great, okay. All right, uh, so anyway, um, so here's my question to you Why do cultures struggle to change? their thoughts on things. They're not just individuals. We talk about that all the time, but th- this was a little different. Why do cultures, let me see I uh, word this right, why do cultures struggle to change long-held beliefs? Why do cultures struggle to change long-held beliefs? I, I, well, one is we, we as individuals and we as a culture are creatures of habit. I mean, it's, you know, creatures of habit. We, we, we like it when things are consistent, okay, even if they're leading us to death, okay? All right, pride? How so? What do, what do you mean by that? Oh, Scott. Yeah. So isn't it interesting? I mean, in the, and I—I I, I mean, I live it every day. I mean, if somebody confronts you with something, you'd rather be wrong and stay with it than than to admit that, hey, you know what? There's a better way to do this. I mean, so our pride, individually and as a culture, keeps us doing stuff. Sometimes, even when maybe we. And I'll guarantee you, and again, I don't know the history of this, and maybe some of you people in medicine do know, I mean, this was a hard thing to get us to change, to quit bleeding people. It is funny, well, one physician started studying patients, that's a good idea, and he said like, so because of pneumonia, if you had pneumonia, they would bleed you. And uh, he goes, you know what, I've noticed that doesn't help anybody. Yeah, 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 but that's what we've always done, you know, so, so pride, absolutely. Yes, sir. Okay, so, so I think sometimes some fear, fear of the unknown or fear of, you know, this, you know, so, so fear can, can go into it, absolutely, yes? It takes, it takes courage to go against the crowd, especially when the crowd are all the experts, and the crowd is what we've always done, and the crowd is, the crowd is the crowd, and so we just say, okay, we'll just keep on doing that and stuff. So, so yeah, yeah Marvin. Yeah. So it's back on the fear. Of, so what's the replacement? So you had better come up with a better answer and stuff. And and it's not like they would have said, "Hey, don't bleed, George Washington." Here's here's the antibiotic. We didn't have the the perfect replacement, and so that fear of what's next. Is a, uh, yes, sir. Tradition. Uh, a lot of cultures find comfort and security in what we've always done. The tradition. And stuff. All right, all right. Yes, sir. <laughs> We've got stories of it working. Now, I don't know what their stories on bleeding working was. I think the person just got better on their own, almost despite that. Uh, because, I mean, if you got an infection and they took away 40% of your blood, you don't think that's going to help you. But if you survived, they said, hey, look, he survived. So he, and, he, and he got over it, so it must have worked. So, so it ap- has the appearance of working. All right, good answers, guys. So here's the connection to our our passage. Really, it's our connection to the whole series on parables. When Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago as our Messiah, he dealt with many cultural beliefs which were just as built in as the bloodletting. I mean, he he came into a world that wasn't ready for his message because of uh, because of tradition for sure, uh, because of uh, creatures of habit because it appears that it was working, you know, all the different things, and, and this is the way we've always done it, the fear of what's next. I mean, all those things were true. When Jesus comes into this world, there were built-in cultural understandings that, that, that he was going to butt, butt heads with. And again, uh, so last week we talked about how the Jews had their mindset on what the Messiah was going to be, and it wasn't him. It was going to be a military, political power who was coming just for them, against everybody else. And he goes, that's not it. And so, so that's one thing. They did. But today we're going to talk about some other cultural beliefs that Jesus ran into. I mean, let me ask you this. Uh, in your own mind, 2,000 years ago, in the time of Jesus, how do you think most people judged the value of a person? We'll say, because it's a men's Bible, say the value of a man. How do you think most people uh, in Jesus' time would vi- would judge the value uh, of a man? All right, so 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 so, so you had wealth and possessions right here. Bruce and Marvin came with that. That you know what what a person had their their wealth, their possessions, uh, how much land they have, their, what their house is, whatever, how good looking their chariot was, you know, uh, uh, if they had one. Possessions was, was a means of, of, of doing that. Okay, man, I, I was gonna, I, I'm not even going to use a whiteboard today. <laughs> man, my brother Tom Chadwell clapped his head. He knows that I use a whiteboard at home sometimes, just, you know. All right, so, all right, uh, so possessions. Right? Yes, sir. Ooh, I had children, uh, lineage, family. I mean, and so, hey, that's a wealthy man. Look at all that family. Now, again, what's interesting, in, that, in, a, in, a agri- in a, an agrarian society, many times that would be wealth because now you've got, you've got workers and stuff. So, so children, the size of your family. Okay, Paul? Oh, so Paul brings up how fat you were because, right, right, right. So if, you're, if you had a lot of food, that would make you wealthy. And so if you were a person of large girth, you were seen as more important. Some of you were just born way too early, way too late and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so uh, uh, Ivan? What's that? Okay, all right. So so I think throughout history, a person who is trustworthy is, is seen as valuable. Let me ask you a question, though, Ivan. So up here, these guys said possessions and uh, wealth. Do you think in that culture... Possessions and wealth were a higher esteem than a trustworthy guy. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I think in the history of mankind, it's never been quite the, the flip-flop. So I agree with you. I think that does, it is a person uh, who is esteemed, but I think for the average guy on the street, it's what you got. So, but I appreciate that very much. Yes, Glenn. Okay, okay. And so sometimes you 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 would receive a name or be given a name based upon your importance and stuff. Uh, Yeah, uh, you know. And so that that would be built into it, like like the guy who was Simon the Less. That doesn't seem to be very very big and stuff. So, but Alexander the Great. You know that's uh, yeah. So anyway, but 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 names and just even, even what they mean. Okay, all right. Okay. All right. So uh, there's more. Tom. All right. So so just your physical stature or size. Right. We, we, again, we look back uh, when the, when God's people wanted a king, they chose Saul because he was taller than everybody else and he was a good-looking guy. So physical appearance and physical stature was 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 the deal. I mean. I, a guy who's six foot five, who walks into the room and who looks really uh, healthy, and, uh, uh, people notice that and stuff. And lepers were the lowest on the, f- on, the, on the chain because they had sores and this and that. And so your physical health, well-being, stature, appearance uh, has, has a big thing at that time to, to have to do with, with how, the, of your value. Yes, sir. Well, livestock is possessions. So yeah, I mean, I mean, because again, and again, what you have, power. I mean, a person who has power. Uh, the Jews hated the Romans because they had the power, but they also realized they had they had. The Romans walked around with a little bit of swagger. Even if you were a lowly Roman, your people, you therefore you had power, Paul, and reputation and value and worth. Yes, sir. Oh, heritage, where you come from, uh, your name, your family, all that sort of stuff. So, 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 so uh, good answers. Uh, and I think those are all true for the people that Jesus came into. Has much changed in 2,000 years? No, no, here's what's amazing to me. Not much has changed. And here's my guess. I don't know when the Lord will return, but my sense is it's not going to change until he returns. So it's, it's, possessions, two thousand years ago, the a big, big deal. It's still a big, big deal. I, I, again, uh, we tend to, in our culture, value people who are wealthy, All right, uh, uh, A physical stature, appearance for sure. Uh, um, but let's see, family. Where you coming? Kind of, you know, oh, your, you know, your name is good in this family, whatever. Uh, uh, how many children you have? I would say that one goes up and down, (laughs) but still there's a sense of, uh, we do the same, we value people for the same reasons we valued people 2,000 years ago, the same way we valued people 6,000 years ago. It's just interesting to me that even though the cultures and the times have changed, it's still the same stuff. And And Jesus comes into this world and says, it's not about all that. And, and I just, I, just I, I think we lose sight of the fact that Jesus walked in a, into a culture that valued uh, possessions and power and strength and appearance. And he says, that's not what it's all about. That's not what it's all about. Um, and I think that as we read through the Gospels, we have to remember how radical Jesus' message was to those people 2,000 years ago. And if we're honest, how radical that message is to us today. Because those things that we just talked about, they are like hardwired into us, and it's what we traditionally view as what we judge people. It's how we do it. It's it's our culture's way of keeping score, and Jesus comes along and says, that's not it, and I don't think we always really acknowledge that it's radical to us as well. Marvin. Okay, so Marvin, Marvin points out Marvin points out that one of the churches that he used to belong to, uh, which there's a long list of those, uh, but, but, uh, but one of the churches he used to belong to, they would choose leadership based upon how wealthy you are, uh, how much power you have, if you're in the right family, and all that sort of stuff. How'd that work for them? Not always well. Okay, I got you. All right, so, so let, let's go to our passage day. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. I wanted to do more of this passage because it's, it's, there's also the teaching before this from chapter 12 to verse 13 is great as well, but we just don't have time, so we're, we're going to walk through this, this passage, uh, you need to look in the mirror while we study this passage, all right, and see where you fit into the passage. So here we go, uh, Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. So Jesus has been teaching people that he's got a crowd following him. And again, we talk about this many times when he'd get a crowd, he would tell a parable and he would kill the crowd. Because a gentleman over here said last week, because he was trying to do addition through subtraction, he's wanting to get people to, hey, are you taking this serious? So here we go. So he's got a crowd around him. And then verse 13 says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Teacher, would you tell my brother to divide the inheritance this is a this is a this is a, a problem throughout history is what to do with the inheritance, and so he, we got we got one one gentleman. He's got a brother who's probably an older brother, and the older brother's in charge of the inheritance. And he's and this has been a problem throughout history is how do you split up the family's inheritance? And so this man says to Jesus, teacher, you tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. What do you what? what? What is this man wanting Jesus to do? Again, it's, it's pretty straightforward. He says divide the inheritance. But what's, what, what's, he, what's he coming to Jesus for? Right? It's to settle a dispute, okay? But Paul, he's not just wanting him to settle a dispute. He's wanting him to settle the, the dispute his way. <laughs> yeah. So he's, he's, he doesn't say, hey, Jesus, my brother and I have a dispute. Would you be willing to help us work through that? He says, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I mean, give him a little nudge. You're, you're a man of influence. You're a man that people value your opinion. Could, would you tell my brother to give me my inheritance? Okay. Um, I mean, it doesn't seem like a terrible request, right? What's behind the request, do you think? He wants to get his share. There's a little bit of a cry for justice. And Jesus is big on bringing justice into the world. So Earl's saying, hey, hey, listen, my brother's being difficult. Hey, would you tell him to come through? All right. Or maybe a little bit of, well, it's jealousy. And also, he's kind of hungry and stuff. So you know, but there's a little bit of, yeah, you know, I, I want what's coming to me. OK. All right, a little bit. Of how, who, who said that? Yeah, how so? But. Yeah, he's got the money, I don't, I'd like to have the money. You know, it'd be interesting if, the, if, the, if he was the older brother, would he be saying the same thing, you know? Uh, because, he, you know, he who has possession seems to be in control. Okay. Anybody else want to reflect on the guy's request? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. His brother had the power. And so he goes to a man of power to try to get his brother to give him some of the power. So he, he's, he is, he, he, he's, he's asking for justice because he's powerless in this situation. It's, it's a classic situation. And, and so this man who has a desire, he's powerless, he goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, would you do what I want? Well, I'm glad I've never prayed a prayer like that. But' haven't, we oftentimes do? We go to God saying, "God, this is what you need to do." And stuff. And, and uh, again, like I said, he didn't he didn't ask for Jesus for wise advice. He says, "I know what needs to happen here." And he asked Jesus to do it. Now and again again, many times people would come to Jesus with, with not the perfect question, and he would be very gracious. So let, let's, let's look at how Jesus responds to this man's question. Jesus replied. Man, who appointed me to who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Who who made me the judge between you and your brother? And, and, he, and he replied in his opening line of, uh, it's almost like, uh, dude, I mean, I mean that's I mean that's I mean it's I mean it's two thousand years old, but it, it, it's 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 a pretty. How would you describe just just in general? How would you describe Jesus' response to him? Yeah, yeah, come on, dude, come on! I, I'm, I'm talking about the almost like he would say. It almost like he turned to his apostles and says, "Who made me the judge and arbiter between these guys?" I mean, it's like really. All right, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, so again, it, it, the, the the guy isn't saying, "Hey, Jesus." I don't want this to become a problem with my brother and I. Can you help us to work through this nicely? He goes, no, Jesus, tell him to give me what's coming to me. Because, again, you can see the guy's motivation in the midst of it. So Jesus, how would you describe Jesus' response? It's Let me help you. It's pretty gruff. It's pretty like, dude, come on, man. And, and, but what's also, he says, who made me judge and arbiter between you? What's wildly ironic about that statement? Because he is the judge and arbiter, not just between those two brothers. And it's interesting, that word you there is the plural, and it's like it's almost like he says it to everyone, well, who made me the judge and arbiter for you all? And he says, well, in reality, the Father did. But what's Jesus' point? He is the judge and arbiter between them, but what's his point? But not about this. Listen, my, I... I you are, you are consumed with you getting that inheritance. I'm not consumed about you getting your inheritance. Well, I am consumed about you getting your inheritance, but it's your spiritual inheritance, not your earthly inheritance. So I think Jesus is saying to this guy, come on, man. I came from heaven down on this earth to live, and I'm going to die for you, and you're worried about your inheritance. You've got bigger fish to fry, or at least to divide. But anyway, I appreciate, I appreciate the analogy. Now, that being said... Let's pull back like, fool that guy, man, what a, he's, I do the exact same thing many times with God and with life. I mean, there's many days that Joe's a whole lot more interested in the immediate or maybe even in the financial than I am in the eternal. And Jesus says, listen, who made me judge an arbiter? Well, let me tell you, before you answer, my heavenly father did, but not about this. This is, I didn't come down here to help you settle your financial dispute with your brother. I mean, it's important, it's not that important. Yes, sir? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they're trying to get Jesus to settle. his. And so here's the deal. If Jesus settled that dispute, that guy would say, thank you very much, I'm done with you. Because I I got what I came here for. And Jesus says, that's not what you're going to get from me. I'm not here... To, to give you what you want, I'm here to give you what you need. Stuff. So so Je- so so, anyway, so Jesus kind of gives him this fairly gruff answer, and then he makes this statement. So he gives us. So he says he gives this very interesting. That whole I think it's just very ironic. He says, "Who appointed me a judge and arbiter between you?" It, well, God did, but not about financial matters. And then he said to them, "Watch out! Be on your guard against." Now, don't read on. If you were there at that time, what do you think Jesus would say? In your mind, what should he say? He says, watch out, be on guard against, what are some th- answers that you think the people of that day would, uh, would expect him to say? Watch out, Watch out! be on guard against those Romans, because, man, that's our problem. Those Romans are, so watch out, be on guard against the Romans who are trying to ruin our culture and those outside people and and they're power-hungry, watch out for them. Absolutely. Watch out, be on guard against, oh, the Pharisees. Now, Jesus, if you actually look back here to chapter 12, Jesus actually says that. Now, that was a radical message, because they're like, well, hold it. Because the people really liked the Pharisees in a lot of ways. The Pharisees were, they were the, I mean, they, the people respected them, and Jesus says, watch out for them. What? So that was a pretty radical message. Watch out, be on guard against Doug. Oh, those Gentiles. Let, don't let them in. You keep your distance from them. You, you, I mean, if you hang out with Gentiles, you'll become like them, and that's a bad thing. So watch out and be on guard against those people not like us. I mean, all the, those are good answers, by the way. Thank you. Uh, because people typically think that the danger is out there. We almost always think that the danger is this cultural thing, or this group of people, or this thing over here. very rarely do we realize that the most dangerous thing is typically within us, and Jesus is going to say, listen guys, your problem isn't the Romans, I know it feels like it is, the problem is, isn't even really your religious leaders, it's what they cause you to believe, and it's certainly not those poor Gentiles, y'all have been dissing for your whole history, because they're they're in the same boat you are. He's saying, he's here well, let's see what he says. He says, Watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. A brother who's wanting me to fix your problem with your brother, let me just tell you, you got bigger problems than you think. You got a bigger problem than an inheritance. Because right now you're consumed by that. That's your problem. So he says, he says, and again, this is a radical message if we're honest. Uh, Uh, And then he goes on to say, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Let me just tell you, Jesus, that the whole history of mankind disagrees with you. Because throughout the history of mankind, we have, as a culture, made a man's life consist consist of the abundance of his possessions. That's what we've all said. We've bought in. That's been our tradition is, The wealthy you are, the more important you are. Matter of fact, in their time, the wealthy you are, the closer to God you are. I mean, they had it baked into the religion. If you were wealthy, you had to be wealthy because God gave that to you, so you must be one of his favorites. And so it was hardwired into it. And Jesus says, that's not the answer, guys. A man's value is not based upon his wealth. And that's the reason I went back with Ivan when he said, hey, what about somebody who's trustworthy? I said, that's awesome. Do we really believe that? And, and I really appreciate it. you You thought, you know what, probably not. Our, as a culture, throughout human history, we've not really believed that. We've believed, uh, and, and, and we get, and, and it's just, it's so easy to get caught up into that. Um, I, I've been, so uh, a week or two ago, I shared a story with, with my friend Glenn I, we flew out to Colorado to visit my daughter. My, my wife, my mother-in-law, and I flew out there. It was my wife's birthday. We flew out there. We uh, Just like with Paul Cressilius, we left town for the birthday. And uh, so uh, we flew out there. We landed in Denver. I'd already uh, gotten a, a rental car through Priceline. We went to pick it up. I'd get there up to the counter to get it. My wife and her mom were out in the, another car waiting for me, uh, talking to a friend who had picked us up. And the guy says, "Hey, I can upgrade you." And I said, "Well, we had a small SUV. It's what we always drive, you know, type thing." I said, "Yeah, you know, it's not that." He goes, "Well, you know, it's really smaller than you think it is. What you have?" I said, "He goes, I'll put you in in an X7." Oh, what's an X7? Is that like you know, a a rocket ship or something? He goes, "Oh, it's a BMW X7." You know, and by the way, I saw one of you all pull in today with an X5. So you're gonna like this story. And I said, "He goes, yeah, it's a BMW. Have you ever driven one?" I'm going uh, no, uh, you know, I, I, I got a pickup truck, but you know, anyway, so, uh, uh, he goes, oh man, it's a great ride, and boy, your, 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 your wife would be, your, and your mother-in-law would be, I said, yeah, and he goes, it's only like $140 more a day, I go, no, 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 I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, and uh, he goes, well, what about an X5, and and I'm going, like, okay, well, you know, and so he talks about this, and I said, well, you know, it is my wife's birthday. We're going to be driving a lot through Colorado. It's my wife's I, I said, you know, it's my wife's birthday. You know, talk to me. He goes, what's your, what? I'll give you the X7 at the X5 price. I, and I went for it. And I go out in the parking lot, and they give me the key fob, and they go, well, it's out, you know, I go out, and I get in this, I've, I've never been in, in something like this. And I, I started up, and, and all of a sudden, help me with this, guys, I felt better about myself. It's not my car, but I'm in it, and I got the little key fob, and I go out to pick up my wife and my mother-in-law, and they start, we start moving the bags from their car to the other. They don't even notice because they don't know what an X7 from a, I don't know, whatever. And I, but, I, but I know, and we get in, and we drive, and for the next four days, I felt better about myself because I was driving an expensive car. Am I any better or different? No. But I got to tell you, I mean, I remember that first night pulling into a grocery store and walking in, (laughs) and I somehow felt better about myself because I had been dumb enough to upgrade on a rental car. Why do we do that? And Jesus says, Joe, Joe, Joe. Your value is not based upon the rental car that you were stupid enough to rent. Now I got I got to say there's nothing there's nothing inherently evil with a BMW X7 other than what it caused me to think about myself. And about and and then <laughs> this was so funny. I'm waving to other BMWs now because I'm one of you. I didn't do that before but now we're good. But Jesus says, Joe, 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 that's not, that's not it. All right, so let's go on. Let's go on. All right, so here we go. Um, so then he tells this parable. All right, I, I'm going to read the parable, uh, and, and, th- and then we'll talk about it. So I'm going to read the, 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 almost all of it, and then we'll talk about it. So here we go. It is verse 16. And he told them this parable. So here's the parable. Now, again, these parables, he's trying to, he's trying to confront a culture that doesn't believe what he's talking about, so he tells a parable. So here he goes. He goes, the the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of goods laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry." All right. Let's before we go on to Jesus's conclusion on that. What has this guy done well? The, 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 again, it's just a story, but the, the character that Jesus has created in this story. What, what has he done well? Or, or if you were a, a general person or a financial advisor, what has he done well? Just let's just walk through this. What has he done well? All right. He's got a good crop. So and and, it, and there's nothing in this where it says that he. Uh, cheated to get the good crop, or he, he, he used illegal means. He he's, seems to be a hardworking farmer who's had a good crop. And that's, that's something to be of value, right? So he's had a good crop. What else does he do, Norman? He's planning for his future, and, and, and nowhere is that said in Scripture to be a bad thing. He, he looks at the situation, and he, he, he's planning ahead. He, he, he's thinking forward to that. Okay, yes, Glenn? He's being proactive. He he's not just like oh well. you know, He it's not only does he make a plan, he works the plan, and he's he's saving. He's you know he's saving for for you know uh, again. All, you go back to Proverbs. It talks about that the ant stores away you know and stuff. I mean he's he's doing a lot of good things. It seems agreed. What's that? What's that? So far, well. So all this happens, take life, eat, drink, and be merry. I mean, again, there's a sense of, you know, enjoying the fruit of your labor. I mean, he's, he's, he's going to do that. And then verse 20 says, but God said to him, you fool. I, I mean, Glenn, you just said he's smart. And, and, and Norman, you said he's planned ahead and he was proactive. And God says, you fool. And by the way, in the Greek, that word fool means fool. <laughs> i mean yeah well paul actually there's four greek words they use for fool this is the strongest one it means kind of well, paul said moron yeah it's, he's, god says you dummy now hold it god this guy is seemingly a hard-working honest farmer who's had a good crop he proactively thinks, well, what's well, my situation here? He, he, he actually acts on that to build bigger barns so he can store it all. And then he, he, and then he enjoys the fruit of his labor. And God says, you fool. That's a strong message. Now, we like the little story because we just read on, but God just called him a fool. And he seems to be actually, back to Marvin's point, he would have been a leader at the church. Let's put that guy in leadership. Because you know, we use this line. He must be doing something, right? We do that all the time when somebody has wealth. So, uh, uh, Ivan, yes, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So 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 now let's let's talk about, all right, so so to your point, how is he foolish? Because God said, You fool. So, so all right, so Ivan, you said there's nothing in his plan about Okay so 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 there there's nothing in his plan of of sharing what he uh, this uh, and so what does that tell you about him Ivan I right, so there may be a greediness there uh all right, but all right so that that's one we'll, we'll just go quickly on these because there's a whole bunch of things we can pull out cuz there's cuz this this little story is just loaded with stuff all right yes uh Jerry <laughs> look right let, let's read this you're exactly right so so listen to this story uh so here it he goes so uh you know He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he says, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry, wonderful me. And so the focus on I, me, mine, myself gives you a little bit of idea about Because I agree with you, being a hardworking farmer and being proactive and planning for the future are not bad things, but as you actually listen to the guy talk, it's all about him. And so there's a, 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 being consumed about yourself is a little bit of an issue. And again, I'm really glad that we don't have that issue in our culture. All right, so... <laughs> All right, so that's that's great, right? So we we got we got uh, nothing about sharing, all about himself. In the back, yes. Okay, so uh, so there's uh, it mentioned that you know there, there's the fool says there is no God. Is this guy said there is no God? Subtly, he's saying, I am my own God. Yeah, it's all it's all about him. It's all about him. All right, anybody else? Great stuff. Yes, sir. A fool is a man who acts unwisely. He seems to be making wise choices, though, right? So where's the foolishness in it? All right, motivation. You have a thought on this as well? You're just setting these guys up. Mm-hmm. So. But it, so it has, it has the appearance of wisdom, but it doesn't have the depth of wisdom. It, it, it seems because God's called him a fool, so we're trusting that God's right on this one. Okay. All right. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Dwight. Oh, okay. okay. So, so, so Dwight points out that this guy, all through this stuff, is talking about my crops and my barns and my life and... And again, Jesus doesn't have to, see, this is what's the beauty. Jesus doesn't tell us all these answers, by the way. If you read on, he doesn't, this this is exactly what he's wanting to have to happen, is people like, oh, you know what, it's all about his, it's my, my, my. And see, because God says everything on this earth is his, you're just the steward of it. So for four days, I was a steward of a BMW X7. But in my mind, it was my BMW X7 for four days. And when he dropped it off, I cried a little bit. But anyway, that's, that's a whole other deal. Um, so, uh, but, but it's not mine. It's his, and it's on loan to me. That is a really hard concept for us to get our heads around. We have moments of it, and like some of you are having that moment right now. You know Everything I have is God's. That's awesome. The question is, will you believe that at 10 o'clock this morning? Because, that, because it's so easy to get back to what's mine is mine. Remember, the guy at the very beginning said, Teacher, tell my brother to give me what's mine. And it's, it's, it's built into us. And Jesus says, that's, that's not the way this world works. That's the way your world works, but it's not the way my world works. My world works, says, that's the Father's, and it's on loan to you. So imagine if the guy had said, let's reword it there. And Jerry's on this, on the I, I, my, my stuff. It all fits into that. So, you know, imagine if he says the ground of a certain rich man produced an amazing crop, and he thought to himself, how blessed I am for God to give me so much to manage. And so he said to himself, "Uh, you know, what what am I going to do? Well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep what will help provide for me and my family, and the rest I'm going to share with others, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. I, I don't know what the answer is, but it's something beyond me, 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 my, my, my. It's all mine. All right, so... Yes, Dwight. I have no place to store these blessings, and so maybe it's time for me to share them with others. All right, all right. So, or contact Crossroads about building a new barn. So, anyway, uh, uh, let's let's move on. All right. uh, um, Anybody else? point? What's point out here. I'm sorry, I got caught here. Yes, sir. It doesn't appear that, that, that sharing what he has with others ever enters his mind. And others, he goes, I got a problem here. I've got to store all this. As if because the, like the only option was him keeping everything. What are you doing, Fred? Oh, I have to tear down my barns because I need to build bigger ones. He's walking around like he's driving a BMW X7. I know why that feels like. Anyway, so I'm just kidding. All right, so so, so there's, there's, as you read through the story, it seems like no big deal. But then as you start looking at the story, there's a lot more going on there than maybe we thought. And then we also look like, wow, might want to look in the mirror on that. So he says, he says, he's, he, he says uh, you fool. And then the story goes on. He says, but God said to him, you fool, and then he says, this very night your life will be demanded from you, and then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? So what's, what, what, what's, what's his point there? What, what, when, G- when Jesus, in telling the story, says God called him a fool, and then, and then God said, you know, tonight your soul's going to be taken from you, your life's going to be taken from you, and then who's going to get all this stuff of yours? What's, what's Jesus' point there? But one, it's not you. It's not yours. You're, you're acting like it's yours, but you know it's going to be somebody else's and stuff, all right? Yes, Jay. Yeah. And so, what's good all this if you die? Now, again, that's a tough way to live. I mean, we we can't, you know. I mean, uh, and, and we'll get back to that. But you know, uh, what value is all this stuff if if you're not going to be here? All right, all right? Uh, yes, Paul. All right. The temporal versus the spiritual. You know, there, there's kind of two different worlds and. And your, your full, whole focus is on the temporal, and you're acting like the spiritual doesn't matter. Well, the spiritual is about to matter a whole lot tonight, okay? okay? Yes, sir, Don? Well, no, I, I, he went from, I mean, he's like, I don't have to worry at all, because now I can eat, drink, and be married, because I am provided for, except for just not for eternity, okay? Uh, Paul? Paul? He has no sense of his mortality because, again, he's his own God in a sense. And listen, I'm doing great and stuff. All right, so, 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 yes, John. See, he has this sense that he's totally secure because he's secure financially. He says, I can relax now. And God says, well, you know what? You might not want to relax too much because you're not, you're not secure in what's going to be required tonight you didn't look ahead spiritually you looked ahead financially but you didn't look ahead spiritually all right uh yes yes tomorrow's never promised because you know what tomorrow's not yours either yeah these possessions you have they're on loan from god this day you have is on loan from god and you're just a steward of it and you don't get to determine when it comes and goes. So this guy goes from thinking he's got everything under control, and God says, yeah, but tonight your life will be taken from you, and what do you have then? And so, so Jesus ends this parable by saying, you think possessions are everything? It ain't nothing when it's taken from you. Uh, you know, the, uh, uh, Malcolm Forbes, many, many years ago, said, uh, you know, he who dies with the most toys wins. Uh, soon after that, a T-shirt came out that said, "He who dies with the most toys is still dead." You uh, know, it's you know, it it you know it's it, it, you know it's, it, you know, it's it, the the eternal is it, a little bit longer lasting than the present. Um, all right, it's time to wrap this up. Let me let me uh, Chris back here reference Proverbs. Let's go back to Proverbs chapter thirty. You don't have to turn to it unless you want to. It'd be real quick, Proverbs chapter 30, It's right towards the end of Proverbs, which is right after Psalms and before Ecclesiastes, Proverbs chapter 30, back in the Old Testament, this, this was written a long time before Jesus came on this earth, but Proverbs 30 uh, says this, He says, Proverbs 30, chapter, uh, uh, verse, beginning of verse seven. Uh, and again, I, I just look back here to look. This is these proverbs are, were not by Solomon, which is helpful because Solomon was wildly wealthy. Uh, because listen to what what this man says. He says two things I ask of you, O Lord. Uh, one is do not refuse me before I die. So he says two things I ask. You know so that you would just do And He said one is keep falsehood and lies far from me. Uh, he says you know. For myself and the people around me, help us to be honest and true. And then that's the first. And then the second one, I love this. He says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Just like this man in the parable did. Or may or or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. This gentleman said, You know what? Give me enough to be content and not chase after having more or feel so desperate that I would steal and we like that parable I and mean, we like that proverb we just don't really believe it so here, here's the deal in conclusion I gotta tell you guys there's nothing inherently evil with being well to do and there's as a, you know it's easy for just people to say boy there's some wealthy guys in here every man in this room is wildly wealthy by the world standards the the again we we don't we don't even fathom I mean being poor in America is being in the top 5% of world history. Being middle class in America is being the top half of a percent in world history. We, we, we're all wealthy. And, and, and having possessions is not inherently evil. It's what you believe about them and about yourself. I mean, because, again, if this man had said, this wealthy farmer had a good crop, and he said, what a blessing from God that I have. And I am so thankful that he would trust me to have this abundance. And so what will I best do with this? Maybe I share it. Maybe I do this. Maybe I actually talk to him about it. Because one of the things about the I he only talked to himself. Matter of fact, in the Middle Eastern culture, that's kind of odd. You talk to everybody. And you certainly can talk to God. But what if he had said, Lord, this, you've blessed me. What, can't, what should I do with this? There's nothing evil about having possessions. It's do the possessions have you. And it's just what it comes down to. And, and I, I just, as I thought through this passage, I thought, good grief, nothing has changed in 2,000 years. Our culture, including the Christian culture, as Marvin said, still looks at value based upon what you have, what you look like, what, what your name is, what your power is. We still value that, and that's to our condemnation. But Jesus Christ comes along 2,000 years ago and today and says, But that's not what the kingdom is about. The kingdom is about not about what you have, but how you steward what you've been given. And, guys, I just encourage you to look in the mirror and say, Lord, am I a fool or am I a steward of what you've been given me? Because I want to be a steward of what you've given me. And don't do the thing about, boy, if I had this, how many of you have ever thought if you won the lottery, how generous you would be? We've all won the lottery. We've all won the lottery. So the question is, what I will be generous when is I will be generous now. I will be content now. It's not I'll be content when I get this raise. I'll be content now. It's not uh, I will feel blessed when. It's I'll feel blessed now. Marvin, you're wearing me out. What do you got? This is it, man. This is the big conclusion. No pressure. This is the concluding. Marvin says this is the concluding statement. I would give him a microphone, but I've. Made a promise to Bob Russell to never give Marvin a microphone. Go ahead. James 4 14. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Now, that is that, that almost feels depressing until you realize that the vanishing away is into eternity with him. And so don't judge yourself based upon this world's standards, base it upon his standards. And if we do that as men, I'll guarantee you that many of the problems that come with judging each other based upon all those things goes away because we're living by God's standards not our own. Marvin wears me out, but Elmer Blackburn raises his hand once every decade. So yes, Elmer. <laughs> Okay, if you didn't hear that, uh, Elmer said, my wife didn't recognize the BMW, but she will recognize the bill when it shows up on our, on our Discover card for $540 that we didn't have to do. Let's close in prayer and, and ask forgiveness for, for Elmer. All right. Lord, we, we praise you and we thank you. But, Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to see ourselves and this world through your eyes and not the eyes of our culture. Lord, help us to value people not based upon what they have, but who they are. Not, and not based ourselves on what we have, but on who we are and whose we are. Lord, I, I just pray that we would be honest enough and humble enough to see things your way and not our way. Lord, all these things are praying in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next week upstairs. And don't forget about the food drive thing. It would be a great opportunity.